What are you talking about? Truly, that's not right. You can't tell me of another time that you've heard of this. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of You're Welcome. You know, guys, I am back in studio, and I'm ready to dive into a bunch of different topics today. Coming up, I'm going to talk about the latest with all the stars, guys like Hazmet Chemayev, George Masvidal, even John Jones. Now, these are some of the biggest names in the sport that I've been telling you about for a while now, but there's a guy I haven't spoken about much through the years. One guy in particular, a fighter who is rolling on all cylinders in 2023. Let's begin there. Oh my goodness, Mike Perry. What was that? Where did this guy come from? Did you guys see Goodwill Hunting? Goodwill Hunting is one of the great films of my lifetime. There's even a very stupid line in that where he says, How do you like them apples? And people will now use that expression afterwards because he said it in that. But but you know what I mean? When you see a movie and the movie's so good, like there's a line 15 years later and people are still wrestling. How do you like them apples? Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. And this was their breakthrough movie. These guys were like buddies. They wrote this script. They got it to Hollywood. They put themselves in here. It turns into this blockbuster hit. I loved it. I love this film. But Matt Damon's a genius. And he's a very smart guy, but he doesn't have an education. And you understand the, the distinction in that? Like education is a formal term. It doesn't mean that you couldn't go and educate yourself. But to have an edu- education, you went and paid somebody, and then eventually they certified you smart. He doesn't have that, but he's smarter than all the professors at the university for which he is a janitor. He cleans the floors in the hallways, right? It's, it's one of these interesting things. And when Ben Affleck in that film described Matt Damon, He described him and said, there's some people that can just play. They can just sit down and play. And sit down and play doesn't overly apply generally to being able to solve math problems. But the same way that people remember the expression, how you like them apples, I remember that line. Because I liked it and I got it. I have been asked before to explain John Jones's success, and I have found myself as a professional behind a microphone, wearing the suit after getting his hair done, wanting to tell people that he was chosen by God. Like, I I don't have a better explanation. As ridiculous as that is, I have to catch myself because it's as though John Jones has this special star that's shining on. Like, there was this this wand that came over. It, It is difficult to explain how good he is at something, but some people can just play. Whatever the rules are and whatever the environment, they can just play. Gordon Ryan is that way in jujitsu. Gordon Ryan is the best. And to be the best in jujitsu the way Gordon has to do it, he will never get his credit. The late Kobe Bryant, or let's use the present LeBron James, any court you go to, It can be at a junior high, a high school, a college, certified by the NBA. Any court that you go to, he can be the best player, which is incredible, but it's a little bit different. It's different than what Gordon Ryan has to do. Because when Gordon Ryan is the best at jujitsu, there's no two jujitsu organizations that have the same rules. If you change one rule, you just change the game. If you're playing for points as opposed to submission only, if you're playing for seven minutes and you juxtapose that about having a 20-minute match, you change one thing, you just change the game. So the fact that Gordon is the best, like, would LeBron be the best if we changed the rules? When I was growing up, we played a game named Pig. Do you guys ever play Pig? Some people call it horse. You shoot for the letter, right? Do Do you understand these things? Wouldn't he be the best in the world if they played that? Well, what about one-on-one? 
What about what Ice Cube was doing? And it was it was three on three. Just for example, would LeBron still be the best? Maybe, but I'm asking the question because that is now a different game. I know in that game they do something called a slam dunk contest. What what if that was the rules? It's still basketball. It's still a court. It's still the same players. But you you change the rules. You wouldn't expect the same outcome. And I give you this because no one thought Mike Perry was going to be the face of an organization. Dave Feldman, when he signed Mike Perry, did not think he would be the face of the organization. When Dave Feldman worked out a deal which was very generous towards Mike Perry, it was more generous to the opponents that he brought in. They were still the featured side. And then Perry just kept reminding us, and he just kept showing us, he can just play. There is nothing logical about this. Much like John Jones. I mean, there was nothing logical to where I find myself saying that, 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 that God has chosen him to do, right? Like, as silly as that is, and I've got to correct myself, I've found myself turning to that multiple times. Mike Perry does not have, like, an inside coach. He, he doesn't have this inside trainer that we haven't heard about that came from back. He's a third-generation Queensberry where they were out there doing it bare knuckles in the streets. It's, it's not like that. There's no great secret. He goes to the gym. He practices. He works out. He's got his teammates. He spars. He does his best to figure out, what am I going to do when the gloves are off? You know, a little bit different strategy. I can't hit a full blast. I can break my hand. What am I going to do? Like he, it, These are just guesses within his mind. Would you think of Mike Perry as some kind of a psychological genius? Would you think of Mike Perry as the highest IQ fighter in any set of rules of fights, but that's what it appears to be. He appears to have secret training. He appears to have a different understanding. He appears to have different and better strategies than everybody else. It's a fascinating thing. I mean, to watch Mike Perry, let me give you an example. When Perry first started to kind of get the attention and he didn't get the push, he didn't get a promotional push and he didn't get a big pay bump and he didn't become a headline in the media, but where the smart marks like me are sitting back going, Hey, wait a minute, there's something going on here. It was a triller event where they matched MMA guys up against boxers. Perry represented the MMA guys and took on a boxer. And that boxer was either a former world champion or he had been ranked number two, but it was by a respected organization. IBF, WBO, or WBC. It, it was one of those three. And the guy was either a champion or he was number two in the rankings. He was great. He's going to touch Perry up. They're doing it under boxing rules. Perry beat him. And it was razor thin and it was close, but Perry beat him. And that's the one where you go, hey, wait a minute. What's going on here? That wasn't supposed to happen. But one night in a super close fight, it's not enough, right? It's not It's not quite enough. And th so then you bring in Michael Venom Page. Well, this is going to be nasty. Michael Venom Page on his feet in MMA is frightening. And that's not a word that you use a lot. It is, it's a frightening thing what he does. Rickles fought him. Rickles is as tough as an old leather boot and came out and just look, just stop. Just it's it's too much. He he is better at this than me. And you then move him to Luke Rockhold. Now the gig is up at Luke. L Luke is a former world champion. Luke will be in the Hall of Fame someday. Luke's bigger. Luke's better. And above everything, Luke's not scared. So Perry goes out, he finds a way. And now you get him with Eddie Alvarez. And this was a very difficult fight to predict. Like when you talk about some people can just play, when you talk about changing and altering and modifying rules and it's going to favor some people, Eddie's one of those people. Jeremy Stevenson, not for nothing, but has also found himself at home. So what's going to happen in that fight? Because Luke Rockholt being bigger than Perry, what we thought was an advantage, it, it actually turned out to be a disadvantage. When you take the grappling out of it, and, and it's a real game of speed, the lighter guy has a little bit of an advantage. And Perry showed that. But now Perry's facing the same thing. Eddie is going to be the smaller guy. 
And I do believe you could do that fight five times. You're going to split results. I do believe that, but we still have to acknowledge what it is we saw. And we have to acknowledge the pressure that's on Mike Perry. Have you ever thought that he was going to be that guy? He's going to be the guy with ice going through his veins. He could be calm in a main event. He can be calm when Conor McGregor sitting there in a sold-out arena on pay-per-view, just for example. Like, have you ever thought of him as this guy? Because he is. He's that guy. He's that guy to the point they don't know what to do with him now. I mean, he's calling out George Masvidal. George Masvidal has made it very clear that he wants to keep fighting. He's made that crystal clear. He's just trying to find a guy to fight. Well, he just found one. I don't know of anybody that can call out George Masvidal and not get an answer. I haven't heard an answer. This speaks to Perry. Perry then went in a direction. He brought Dylan Dennis into it. There was somebody else, guys. Who is who was the other one he was talking about? But the point remains the same. People aren't lining up to fight him. These are big money fights, right? The word is getting out on what Dave Feldman is willing to pay to find an opponent for Perry under these rules. The word the word is getting out. You got to pick him. Well, you don't have anybody in that line. And to look at the violence, to look at what Perry's able to do. He's got his wife with him in the back. She's the one keeping him calm, prepping him, telling him, hey, you got 20 minutes, you got 10 minutes, you got five minutes. She's the one in the corner. It's an interesting thing. This is just not what you would have predicted. But like Affleck explained in Goodwill Hunting, some people can just play. And when it comes to bare knuckle boxing, don't try to make sense of it. Don't even try to copy it. Don't go find out what Perry's doing and then start doing that. It's a unique, it's a one-off. But he's the face. He deserves to be the face. Mike Perry's a star. He deserves to be a star. I don't care what the rules said if it's combat. I don't care if you did a wrestling match. I don't care if you did a Taekwondo event where I don't even know what the rules are. I, I don't care. If it's combat, it's one-on-one -on -one, and you get the jump on Eddie Alvarez, you have my respect. George Bosvidal, Mike Perry. You know, this was Perry's idea. And Mosvidal hasn't responded. And that is not like Mosvidal. I mean, there there is nowhere within history that somebody has called out George Masvidal publicly and not gotten a response. But he hasn't responded. Now, there's reasons George doesn't need to respond to Perry, starting with the fact that he's retired. Well, okay, I hear that, but but before you say that, there was nothing about George's retirement that was sincere. Nothing. He didn't mean it when he said it. He might as well have been the kid that comes out with, with, with his fingers crossed. It sounded insincere. And it wasn't even two weeks later that he was doing interviews talking about fighting again. George had his own promotion. So when he began speaking about that, many of us thought, well... It's not a matter that he's going to go and headline one of his own events. He's just going to bring attention to his event. But he ended up not doing that. He, he actually never bridged. He, he never married those two ideas together. Which lends to the idea of the sincerity that Masvidal would like to fight again. And I do believe understood his time in the octagon was past. But that wasn't his true love. He loved you guys. He loved the experience, the opportunities, and the money. But his true love is stand-up fighting. So when Perry called him out, there was just so many things that worked. There was so many things that made sense. Dave Feldman's got a whole pile of money waiting over there for George Masvidal. I don't know on a personal note where George is at with his contract within the UFC. Now, that's a situation where one phone call and he would get a release. But just so you understand, when you see people retire, that doesn't mean that they're just free. 
And this got tested one time that you'll remember, which was St. Pierre versus Oscar de la Hoya. And it was years after George had retired, but he still had an active contract and Dana would have liked to have used him. Hey, George, you want to fight, man? No problem. Let me get you one. Well, I want to fight, but I don't want to fight there. I want to go box Oscar. And it was just one of those spots, right? Oscar's putting Dana down. Why is Dana going to do a favor? It was one of these situations. And I only bring it to you so that you do understand when a guy says I'm retired, right? It's, it's, it's not any different than Michael Scott walking out and declaring bankruptcy by yelling to his coworkers, I declare bankruptcy. Like there's steps involved. So if that were holding up George and he wanted that to be an excuse, great. He could use it, but he hasn't. And if it was a reality to the situation, he could make one phone call and that would get cleared. And I don't have an overarching point here aside from the fact that I've never seen Masvidal called out and Masvidal not respond. Now, there could also be a change of heart when I tell you that his retirement was very insincere. It was. When I tell you he had his fingers crossed, he did. But you have the right to change your mind. So he might have been talking, he might have been in the gym, he might have been staying busy, he's still going to the events, he was still bit by the bug, he still had the eye of the tiger, and then pretty soon changed his mind. And he is just truly done. That could also be a very reasonable answer. And that would make sense as to why he just let it go. Perry did not disrespect him. There wasn't an issue there where his ego was being damaged. In fact, Perry put him over. Perry said, when I was in high school, I was watching this bare-knuckle fighter who was going backyards in Florida on YouTube named George Masvidal. He put him over. So, I'm not calling George out for this. I'm just mentioning that I would like him to respond. And that could be yes, no, maybe. That could be best of luck, I'm retired. There's a number of things that he could do that would not damage the brand and or the ego. But you're getting this from a narcissist. Like, I understand the drive and what you will do to preserve that identity and or that ego. It's not called into question here. But when you do start to think about fantasy fights for Mike Perry, who's the face of an organization that performs on pay-per-view in front of sold-out arenas. Like, there's nothing about that that is an insult. Not to mention, Feldman has a jackpot full. He's not, he's not going to call and insult Masvidal. He's going to call and tell him one time what the number is, but there'll be nothing about that number where you go, oh, come on, this, this isn't serious. George Masvidal himself, with the show that he puts on, is very generous. Very generous. Feldman will give George three times what George has ever paid anybody. I'm just bringing it to you. It's, it's one of these unique spots. Like the rules within Bare Knuckle for some people is going to turn them away. You wouldn't even call St. Pierre and ask him to do Bare Knuckle. You wouldn't even ask him about it. But Masvidal's event does Bare Knuckle. So it's not as though he's going to say anything about the rules. And then when it comes to the pay, Masvidal takes very, very good care of those guys. Feldman will do that times three. So all of a sudden, you, you couldn't argue with the number. The rules are, right, it's like throwing Br'er Rabbit in the briar patch. This is where Masvidal was born and raised. So the rules aren't a problem. The weight class, Perry just fought at 175. Masvidal fights at 170 and has a hard time making it. I mean, as you go down the list, everything is there unless George is in fact retired and those crossed fingers are no longer crossed. I don't have the answer on that. I don't overly believe that there's a wrong answer, but I will admit for you, as I watched Perry do that call out, I wanted some kind of an answer from Masvidal. is Jalen Turner, late stoppage, ends in a TKO, ends late. Some people are saying as many as eight seconds late. I did not see it as that drastic.
And when I rewatched it, all I'm looking for was the referee. I'm looking to see what happened, and then I'm looking to defend the referee, and then I'm looking to persecute the referee. Like, this is my own personal mindset as I go back and as I'm watching it. And it's, it's one of these situations where it will never go away, and you pile on the referee, and we then never hear from the referee. And I will tell you, I'm glad that I did not hear anybody calling for the referee to not be able to officiate in the future. I didn't hear one person say that. I appreciate that. Everything that I did read on this, when they referenced the referee, they referenced him as referee. They didn't use his name. I appreciate that. Now, I'm coming to you from a perspective where I have refereed, and I've never done MMA. But I did a football game, flag football game with kids, and I could not believe how angry parents were. I mean, I must tell you, it surprised me, disappointed me. And I'd done a lot of wrestling matches, and I'll just share for you, there are things that are happening really fast, and as the referee, you have the best of intentions. And there are things where even you will look back and realize you have made a mistake. And when those things happen and people will then use your admittance, your objective admittance that I have made an error, when they will use that to persecute you, I find that very underhanded. When you bring somebody and they are objective, maybe able to look at it and say, okay, this was wrong. It's going to be a teachable moment for all of us, including me. In fact, let me tell you, other ref, this is what I was seeing because I'm so close. This is what I'm seeing. As I stand back and I watch this on video, I, this is what I missed. That's helpful. And that's honest. And that is integrity is the very first thing that executive directors will look for. All executive directors in the state, not just the great ones, not, not, not just Foster and Sumbler, like not, not just the great executive directors, all executive directors, when they hire, whether you're checking the gloves, which is called an inspector, where you're dealing with a judge who is telling you, I can judge, let me in. And you're saying, well, what have you done before? What are the judging things that you've done before? Before you even get those matches, or you find out how many matches, or you find out where he was on the card, has he done main events? Before you get to any of that, you're checking to make sure this person has integrity. Because you have set forth rules. But those rules don't tell you how you are supposed to interpret. They are set forth rules, and then it's up to you to interpret. I like that. That's the way that it should be. And I'm just sharing for you when you have these good people that come forward, that go through a lot of checks and balances, and then you have somebody that can look at their own work. And I do know a couple of referees and I do know a couple of judges who have never been wrong in their own mind. Never. I mean, do you know what the chances would be as a human being? Do you know what the chances would be that you are like Jesus and you are infallible? Like, could you even imagine if you went through a body of work and you have never been wrong? It's one of those positions, and I don't know what the referee's take is on this. He hasn't weighed in, and he might never. Most commonly, you don't ever hear from referees and judges, and that's okay. I understand why you want it. But the executive directors are government-appointed officials, and we should hear from them. Including if it's about their staff, we should hear from them. And therein lies the frustration when people come out and they talk about the judges and or the referees. It's not when a mistake is made. It's when nothing is done about the mistake being made. Oh, by the way, when I say nothing, I'm talking about somebody needs to be fired. I'm not even saying they need to be pulled from cards or set back to the amateurs. I'm not talking about that. It can be a discussion. What did you see here? Explain to me what it is that you were looking for. Because in this position, the bylaw is very clear. 
Intelligent defense. What were you seeing that you felt was a sign of intelligent defense? And then you begin to listen from there. And you start to, to, to figure out and strengthen your resolve that this person has integrity and is fair, honest, and objective, or you start to weaken that resolve and realize, hey, I might have grabbed the wrong person. I, I just shared for you, that's where the real frustration comes. When people start going back on these matches and arguing about referees and or judges, that's where the real frustration comes. The terms in and of itself are a bit annoying to me. Early stoppage, late stoppage implies that there is a perfect stoppage. And that inference is incorrect. So, so, so you got early stoppage and late stoppage, but if you are on the side that you want to discipline a referee, and now you are talking about pulling them off of cards, pulling assignments, if, if you're of that school of thought, I would just like to remind you the checks and balances that our sport has. The checks and balances are very good, and they're put in there for very good reason. And when you see a TKO, a TKO is the referee overriding and stepping in front of three licensed cornermen whose job it was to stop the fight who have a towel and have an ability and based on jurisdiction have different signals. I like the old school. I like when the towel actually comes in. Now what most people are doing is you wave that to the executive director and the executive director then yells to the referee. And you, you can see where you would have problems with this. I'm speaking to you to, to the point in place. If you want to come down on that referee, if you're of that school of thought this was late, look, it, it appeared to be late. I, I don't disagree with that. If you want to come down on that referee, then you have to look at the refer who the referee was stepping in front of, which is three licensed cornermen. Every TKO that you've ever seen is a referee overriding licensed cornermen who failed. And people don't like that. They resist and they push back, but I'm sharing for you, this is the way that it is. Only a referee can stop a fight by example. But every time that we have a fight stopped, this is for a cut. You bring in a doctor for a cut where, where the doctor is stopping the fight. And you will hear that. And you will hear our pundits and reporters and you will believe it to be true. And you, you will hear it. You'll have announced teams telling you that's what happened. There's not a jurisdiction that I'm aware that has that authority. Only a referee can stop a fight. So you have the doctor's opinion. And then the referee has to stop the fight. And I, I'm only speaking to that as there's checks and balances. You know what a 10-8 round is? For a round to be 10-8, at some point within that round, it needed to be eligible for stoppage. And the judges are letting you know that they don't agree with the referee. They don't agree that it wasn't stopped. So the checks and balances, they will come over the top of that and give a 10-8 round. And it won't be explained to you the way that I just explained it. By the way, you, you could have people in positions of authority that would disagree with the way that I just explained it. But I will stand by that. And if you thought Jalen Turner teed off on Bobby Green for eight seconds more than he should have been able to, that's just one number that I heard out there. If, if you think that, I don't tell you that you're wrong. If I was the official, knowing what I know, I would have stopped it much earlier. I, I'm not resisting that. But when you're attempting to find a martyr or you're attempting to throw somebody or, you, or you're attempting to bring these things in, make sure you understand what the referee did. The referee did the job that three cornermen failed to do.
Michael Chandler said something today. This was great. This was great. Because Chandler's been put in a colossally hard position. I challenge and push back on Chandler's decision to wait and to be dictated to the way that he's waited and the way that he's been dictated to by Conor McGregor. I mean, Chandler is sitting already what a guy would sit who's on an ACL injury. And it looks like there's a little light at the end of the tunnel, but it's just a little light and it's a long tunnel. And I question Chandler constantly, but my hypocrisy knows no bounds because if Chandler called me and I were to advise him, I would tell him to stay the course. If I were in Chandler's shoes and I had to make a personal decision, I would do what Chandler is doing. But Chandler came out today, it was a very simple line. He set it down and walked away. It's amongst the best things that he's done. He said, Connor's trying to wait me out and I'm not going to let him. That was it. And I loved it. It was simple and it was accurate. And now I understand, oh, we're in a game here. We're in a game of patience. We're in a game of chicken. We're in a game of blink. Those I understand. Been in a few of those myself. The public understands. It doesn't matter if, if it's a guy with a PhD watching uh, or it's a guy down working at the Quick Mart. It doesn't matter. We've all been in those little games of chicken where I'm going to get my way. I have one promise given to me by the UFC, which is I am your next fight. I'm going to use that. You wait as long as you want. You're going to retire me? You just might. I'm going to retire you back. That is something that we all understand, right? We have all cut off our nose to spite our face for principle. We've done it before. And I like that Chandler said it because now I get it. Or at least I get it to a different degree. And Connor does have a code. Connor's not going to blink. He's not going to back down from Chandler. Now, I'm not positive he's most interested in Chandler. I'm not convinced of that. But there isn't a scenario where the UFC is going to want him to fight Chandler and Connor's going to come out and go in a different direction or Connor's going to say no. Or he's going to say, I've lost interest and I'm now going over. He just won't do it. It could be a harder fight. It could be an easier fight. It could be a bigger fight. It could be a smaller fight. Connor's code won't allow him to do that. So if he doesn't want to fight Chandler, and it's not the old school, you guys, oh, he's scared. It, it's not those things. He just he has a biggest, bigger interest in something else, if that's true. He's still not going to be able to do it. He's not going to be able to get himself to do it. So when Chandler's saying he's trying to wait me out, I think that Chandler makes a fair point. I don't think Connor's ever verbalized it to anybody, but I do think that he wants to do something else, and I don't know what that would be. I don't know. There appears to be something very big out there with Nate Diaz, in my opinion. And I've heard of the talks for UFC 100, uh, 300. I, I've heard of the talks... Of the return, I mean, the crazy talk. There's one right now that Ronda Rousey's got $15 million on the table to fight Misha Tate. That, that is fiction. That did not happen. But then I'm hearing the talks of GSP coming back. That is fiction. I'm hearing the talks of Nate coming back. Now, that is easily the most realistic of them. The issue that's right in front of everybody and they're choosing to not see when you hear those kinds of talks. It is the exact same scenario that Connor just went through with USADA and the six months. It is the exact same to a T. And that seems to be the part that so many people are missing. Because of what went through with Connor and USADA all the way down to a breakup, which is likely to result in a removal by the board of Travis Taggart. I mean, it's a very big deal the way this whole thing came down. You can't just bring somebody else in, have them go in that exact same scenario and not do the six months and do the pool. And as soon as they attempted to do that, 
you people, the very people that are saying, bring us Nate, bring us Rhonda, bring us George, the moment it's done are going to come back and point that gun just for dramatic reasons, just for no other goddamn reason than to be a pain. So, I don't know that Connor's aware of that. I don't believe Connor is a Sandhagen. I believe he is the opposite. I believe the same way as we can use Sandhagen as a verb to describe somebody that doesn't follow the very sport that they're in and doesn't know their own division, I think you could apply Connor for somebody who's an absolute expert in the divisions, the rankings, and the system. I'm just not convinced that Connor has enough information to fully decide what it is that he wants to do. And when guys get near the end, only they know. They will not reveal that. Not the smart ones. You'll have guys that say, my next fight is my last fight. If you ever say my next fight is my last fight, you had better already have the fight signed. Because if you do not have it signed, you are not going to like the opponent and you're not going to like the card placement. But when you have a Sandhagen, they they haven't figured that out yet. Connor most certainly has. But when you're nearing the end, your motivations will change. How badly do I want parity? How badly do I want a rematch? How badly do I want to cut down to 155 pounds? When I tell you that Connor doesn't have enough information, I don't think like the mystery weight class of where these guys are going to compete is only a mystery to us. I don't think that they've worked that out. So it's relevant though, if I'm right, right? When I ask you, who does Connor really want to fight? When Chandler says he's trying to wait me out, he's trying to wait me out so that he can go on and do something else. For whatever reason, I'm not convinced that Connor has enough information. He might have a different opponent in mind if he needs to go down to 155, as opposed to if he can do it at a catch weight of 175, which is very Connor-esque. To do it at 170 would not be Connor-esque. To do it at a catch weight that doesn't exist and nobody else could get a main event at, and he's going to make them do it special for him, that is on brand for McGregor. And... I do believe there is light at the end of this tunnel. I think the tunnel's a little bit long. I think the light's a little bit dim, but I think that's changing. And I am starting to get excited for that match. And my anticipation was growing stale, not because I don't love to see Chandler. Chandler might be my favorite fighter. It's not because I don't like to see him fight. It's just that one's been promised and it's been out there and it's very hard to get it up when you know you're coming down. When you get it up and it comes back down, pretty soon you just refuse to get it up. It's one of those things. And this one has definitely messed with our emotions until Chandler said why he's waiting. He's not going to blink. He is in a game of chicken. He's in a game of stubbornness. You might retire me, but I will retire you right back. You got a whole bunch of power, but I got a promise. I believe in your power, but I also believe in my promise, which is your next match is with me unless I take something first. Like I, it, it really changed things for me to hear Chandler explain why he isn't moving on. And there's just not a piece of Connor's code. No matter how much he would like to move, just to stick it to Chandler, just to show him that he can. It's just, it's not within his code. It could be harder, it could be easier, it could be dangerous, it could be safer, it could be this weight, that weight, or in between. Once it's set, Connor won't be the one to change it. So now, as we did for all of 2023, we just need to wait. The media darling, the one that you guys are most interested in, and you can't get a damn word from him. He is so hard. He finally did confirm that the hand was broken in the Kamar Usman fight. 
And please don't try to shove this up my ass and tell me that you've been telling me that for weeks. And I, I understand, but you have to have confirmation on that stuff. You have to. I mean, the organization informs us of Yuri Prohaska's injury, which was none of our business. And then we're even told that it's it's the worst ever, but we don't ever get a confirmation that you got your number one contender, just won the number one contendership. You, you rebook his match and take his spot away and you don't even tell the world why. I mean, not for nothing. I was curious and I needed to hear it from him. So moreover, not only is he injured, he's going to have an operation in about two weeks. What the, what does that mean? What, what does that, what, what is about two weeks? What, what is about two weeks? Is two, two weeks is 14 days. What, what is about two? Is it scheduled or not? I'm not from a more sophisticated part of the world than he is living in. And if I had a broken hand, I would be in surgery tomorrow. If I needed a surgery for it, if that's already been deduced, it's been a month and three weeks as is. Now we're going to wait two more weeks, so you now got eight weeks. Do you guys understand if you break a bone, it takes eight weeks to heal the bone? So if you have a broken hand and you don't do anything about it for eight weeks, it's now going to fuse to something. That will just be your new claw of a hand. Unless the doctor is going to go in and re-break it so he can set. What? what do you mean it's going to be in two weeks? What are you talking about? Truly, that doesn't, that's not right. You can't tell me of another time that you've heard of this. At what point did it get diagnosed as a broken hand? I would assume that night. Now, perhaps you need confirmation what comes the next day under the form of an x-ray. Okay, great. Either way, it's been seven weeks, and he's got to wait two more just to get an operation. What? And so you, you, you got to understand... When we go down these roads of conspiracy, they generally take you nowhere, but they're a lot of fun. It's just that Chemayev happens to be tied to one of the bigger conspiracies that appears to have been true, which is the 178-pound day-before-made-up weight class with no sanctioning through a commission fight that he had with Kevin Holland. And Brennan Schaub came and told the world, it was a prediction, Brennan was guessing, but he said, man, this is fagazi. There's no way that the commission didn't get involved. There's no way that you have a catch weight. There's no way that you changed it the day before without Kevin Holland taking a piece and, and everything else that goes along with it. And Brennan was accused of being a conspiracy theorist. And then Chemayev, prior to his last fight, confirmed that Brennan Schaub was absolutely right. So... The evidence that Brendan had to make the prediction when he made it is far less evidence than I have to tell you right now that you do not break your hand seven weeks ago, understand you need a surgery, and the surgery is scheduled sometime roughly two weeks in the future. And all of that is subsequent to the fact that you became a number one contender, you lost that opportunity, you inserted another guy, and there was no mention made of it. By the way, I don't have like a final analysis of this. I'm just sharing with you. You had a number one contender that was promised, not just to him. It was promised to you, the public tune in and watch this. And if you need more of a reason to tune in and watch it, I'm going to sprinkle a little something special on here. This is a number one contender. All of that was taken. It was just taken without an explanation. And now the explanation that we're given is he couldn't meet Sean Strickland in January for a fight that he earned the hard way. I can't think of a harder way to get a job than having to beat up Kamar Usman. Would any of you even have your job if that was a prerequisite? To get a job, you must not only fight Kamar Usman in cage, you must beat him. Okay, he got the job and he got it the hard way. And no explanation was given. The media had began. Strickland was coming after him. Strickland's coaches and teammates that saw those guys working out were coming after Chemayev was coming. Like, everything was building. And then we find out it was Duplices with no explanation. And now when we finally get an explanation, it's that there's going to be an operation on a surgery of a hand that was broken seven weeks ago. Oh, and by the way, that surgery date is so unimportant to me. I don't even know when it is, but it's in about two weeks. Bull.
people still hunting? I mean, I, I gotta tell you, after his last fight, he did an interview, they asked him what he was gonna do, and he said he was going to go hunting. I don't know how long those trips are. I don't know if he was like leaving tomorrow or like this is the next thing I have to do and it's in a month and then it's going to be a three-week trip. Like, I, I would assume that he's not, but I have not heard anything. And Bo really captivated the media. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I'll use myself as an example. I couldn't say his name enough times. Everything he was doing was interesting. His last fight, he was the biggest favorite in UFC history. 24 to 1 odds. It had never been done before. So there's not a lot to see there. That's not the kind of match that gets a lot of attention. I talked about it all the time. I talked about the 24 to 1 odds. You guys listened to it. Made a bunch of views, did a bunch of comments. Like, there's something interesting about Bo. And Bo is in a unique situation where he's going to have to make a choice. If you do it the way that it's being done, it pays the same. He's getting feature matches as the biggest favorite in history. He's undefeated. Why would you bring him anybody that wasn't a hammer? I don't know. I, I don't know. There's a plan. There's a building process. Maybe even though he's undefeated and young and a three-time NCAA champion, maybe those things aren't respected and it wasn't even meant to be a favorite. They just think he's not very good. Maybe. Suggest, I'm just suggesting for you. But if you're in Bo's spot, right, and I'm seeing opportunities for him to get fast-tracked. I'm seeing opportunities where he's fighting for world championships by this time in one year. I don't need a great crystal ball to tell you how that can happen. It was on December 10th of last year that Bo Nickel was a main card fight. Now, the fight ended up not happening. Bo got hurt. But he was scheduled to be a main card fight. On that same card is a young man named Drikas Duplessis at the same weight class who is not a main card fight. And Drikas got pissed and he told his 288 Twitter followers how angry he was. And I saw it. I thought, God, he's cutting a great promo here. He's actually making a very good point. He's offering to fight Bo. He's offering to take that spot. Give me your spot or give me you. It was very compelling. And I, I must tell you, in fairness, as much as I appreciate the squeaky wheel, and oftentimes it gets the grease, I did not think that Drikas Duplessis could go with a Bo Nickel. But now he's the number one contender. He's ranked far ahead of Bo. And I bring it to you because when I tell you that Bo, doing everything right, could be fighting for a title by this time next year, I don't know that that's his plan. Like, I know the competitor in him only knows, go after number one, go after the best, be the best yourself. Once you get to the best, build a gap, build a distance, build a strut. Like, he is a diehard second-generation competitor. His father's mind works the same way. But you do get confronted with the business side, which is, I could call for a really hard fight. I could get TV placement, and I could get this incentive. Or I can do none of those things. And if they keep shuffling the deck the way they're shuffling it, sure make for a lot safer and more secure night for the same living. Now, that would be contrary to the way Bo was raised. I don't predict for you that that's where his mindset is. I, I just share for you, I can't give him a hard time because he is in a very unique spot. I mean, P Patty the Batty found himself in the same spot. Patty the Batty has made his first call out ever. And he made it a week ago when it was against Bobby Green. Bobby, I don't know that Patty still wants that fight, right? Bob, Bobby came in short in that last one. But that's the first call out he's ever done. He's never called out anybody. And it's a unique spot. Why would he? What's the point? Or you could take the Sean, the Sugar Sean O'Malley stance, which is I'm better than this. Give me the guys. Give me the right guys. Give me to the belt. And eventually they did, and he got the belt. And I, I, I'm just sharing for you, like, Bo had an opportunity to get Paula Costa. Now, I couldn't tell you that very many times. There's not very many times where Bo, as new as he is, and over the unranked guys, could, could splash in with a star. Paula Costa could easily dismiss it, but he had an opportunity and he didn't take it. And prior to that, he had an opportunity to get Chemayev. 
They needed somebody. Bo had an opportunity to get it. Now, I don't know that he would have, but he would have been a live dog. Any other time he called out Shemayev, he would not have been a live dog. He's called out Shemayev. He was never a live dog. When Paulo pulled out, that was Bo's chance. And if he would have beaten Kamara to the ask, he would have gotten the fight. And Paulo Costa versus Robert Whitaker has a lot of problems. There's a lot of things where you would be wise to not bet that that fight is going to take place. And it would be a great opportunity for Bo to simply put himself in backup position. If he doesn't have anything else going, if he's back from hunting, I'm just making a suggestion. I don't know that he needs to do that, but I'm making a suggestion that there is an ability and there is a fast track here, particularly with this division. Uh, when a guy was under the card on you, right? You, you don't worry about rankings, guys. They're, 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 come on. The rankings are, this isn't real. This isn't real. What's real is your card placement. Whoever fights later on the card is better than the guy that fought earlier on the card. Perception being reality, okay? One year ago, Bo was main card and Duplessis was not. So there's your answer. There's your answer of who's where. But one guy went hunting, and the other guy kept running his mouth. And that other guy is not only in a world title fight, he's a two-to-one favorite. So this isn't like Chael laying out a blueprint because Chael's the smartest guy in the room, which I am. I'm just using a simple example that happened in a very recent time, happened right in front of you, and happens to pertain to Bo. It's not a matter of Bo calling out Duplessis. Duplessis called him out. Duplessis said, give me your spot or just give me you. If I can't have that spot, I'll just get in the ring with you. So Bo's already been called out. He's been called out by a guy who's a two-to-one favorite to be the champion. But I haven't heard a response. I didn't hear it a year ago and I don't hear it now. And if we're playing a different game, we're on the business side of it, no problem. But if we're not, to speak up. John Jones is awful. John Jones is a jerk. John Jones is garbage. John Jones' decision is selfish. John Jones is refusing to defend his belt. John Jones is refusing to relinquish his belt. John Jones is doing nothing to move that division or add moral support to the guys in the locker room that have like-minded goals and dreams. He's not paying respect to the rankings. He's not even planning to come back and fight the number one ranked guy. Okay. Fine. Fine. Neither's Tom. That's the part of the story that's getting left out. Neither is Tom. Tom Aspinall is the interim champion. Now, John's argument in some ways is stronger, which is, I can't fight. I cannot get a license. I, I can't even go to practice. So to suggest that John would be stripped or do what George St. Pierre did and just give the belt back, to bring those things up, you're, you're, you're not completely out of line, particularly if you look at history, particularly if you look at what happened with other guys. And moreover, when you do understand the concept that when John returns, it's for a title fight. And therefore, there is no harm to John. Okay. But Tom can fight. He is healthy. He is able. And... I find that Tom is spending his time talking about what John's doing without understanding he's doing the same thing. Now, by the way, this isn't a pick on Tom piece. Tom wants to fight. He's made that very clear. He's willing to fight. He would like the credit. He would like to be known as the best active fighter in the world, which he is. But it's not wholly different I mean, it, it would just seem to me as as Tom and, and John have this little bit of a back and forth, this little bit of a back and forth, 
is a little bit confusing because they haven't called for a fight with each other. Even though they're fighting and they're bickering, Tom has not tried to take that fight from Stipe. And as John is attempting to defend himself and say, hey, whoa, hold on. I am the champion. I will fight as soon as I can. I mean, I, I do have to... I do have to tell the story the way that it happened, which is John Jones did not try to be a closeted champion. He won that belt in what I believe was March. And he tried to defend it against Stipe on International Fight Week, which was July. Stipe did his part as well. Do you guys remember that? Stipe tweeted out artwork from the UFC as though it was an announcement. Like, I mean, Stipe went for it too, and John went for it. Both of those guys, we, we do have to defend them. As they're waiting and not giving other guys opportunities, they did try. And then they tried to fight again, and it was even strongly rumored they were going to get that fight in August. And then it ends up being moved to the Madison Square Garden show in November. And... I do have to speak to that because intent, of course, matters. John did try to defend. Had it been John's way and he would have gotten the fights, when he asked for them, he would have not only had the Stipe fight, he would have had given somebody else the opportunity by now as well. And I bring that to you because that, to me, seems like the stronger argument for John to make against Tom. And how these two have done this kind of bickering and this back and forth, but neither one has crossed the line of fight me, I'm better than you. Neither one has done that. John has defended himself immensely, but he has never said, I can beat you. Now, I think John does believe that, but he hasn't said it. And I do believe that Tom would like that match. And I don't know if Tom is as confident as John, but he's willing to go find out. And those are the kind of guys that we get behind. But he hasn't actually said it. And I do think John's stronger position is to say, I am the champion, I'm not defending. You are the champion, and you are not defending. And all that that argument would do is splash a little cold water in Tom's face to go, oh, you're right, I need to go find a fight. Because that's all Tom wants. He just wants a fight. But it is, it is a little bit peculiar. And now you've got Jolton Almeida has called out or publicly called for Tom to defend the interim championship. Almeida is spot on. And Tom agrees. Tom wants to defend the championship. And I, I do wonder what that holdup is, guys. And we do have to, we do have to take a, a deep breath here and realize... Tom became champion less than one month ago. So the relevance being, there is no other champion that has been booked in less than a month. So possibly there is nothing holding up Tom. Possibly having him wait till whatever happens with Stipe and John, or whether he goes into that fight or he goes into something else, possibly the idea that he is going to have to wait is false. We do not have enough time or enough information to be frustrated about that yet. We do have the right as fans to speculate. When there's rumors out there and they're public rumors, there is a responsibility of the media to ask those in charge and to get an answer from those in charge. We have, we have the right to do what we're doing, but we're not necessarily correct. If we are right that they don't know what to do with an interim championship and they don't want to defend it, for whatever reason, I would I, I would not sense that that is accurate because I would not believe that. Defend an interim championship, I have no idea what the problem with that would be. But, but let's just say that somehow Tom's success is stopping Tom from getting a job. Then he can give it back. Daniel Cormier relinquished it one time. I mean, the same way as you can, you can point and say you're champion. It's happened twice. Ronda Rousey, Jose Aldo, neither had set foot in the octagon and were champions of the octagon. I mean, it, the same way you can do that, you can also give a belt back. St. Pierre did it. Corey Hill did it. Prohaska wants you to think that he did it. 
So if, I mean, it's, it's a big if. I, I don't know that I'm bullish on that concept, but I'm sharing with you if, if that is the case. And Tom could just give the belt back. And I don't see the other heavyweights doing a good job until Almeida said it. I mean, God, God bless him for saying it. Now, I would like to see something good happen to Jayden Almeida just for being the one to say, go out and defend your belt. It's an opportunity. Guys want it. It's a really big deal. The BMF, which has, has no lineage, has no defenses ever. The guys want it. It's, it's a big deal. They've set their lives on hold to have this thing that our community accepts, which is a belt. So I want to give John a hard time, but I, I do I do have to defend John in one way. He tried to fight. John Jones did not want to be a closeted champion. He wanted to be out there and competing. He called for fights. He finally signed a fight. He finally not only signed a fight, he verbally agreed that if something happened to his opponent, who in this case was Stipe, he would fight Sergey Pavlich. I mean, there were stories going on out there all over the internet that John's scared, he'll retire, he'll never fight Sergey Pavlich. He already agreed to fight Sergey Pavlich. So, you you end up in a bit of a tough spot with the matchmaking. The Jayden Almeida fight is one that you could do. Tom has sold out arenas three times in two different countries. Aside from Sergey Pavlich, I couldn't tell you against who. If you gave me enough time to think, I watched it, but I couldn't tell you against who. And the, the only reason that's not to slide those opponents is to let you know that it's Tom. Tom, Tom is the draw. And I, I have to say that because the, the, the fight that people would like to see the most would be Surreal Gone versus Tom. That becomes a problem if the winner of that is, in fact, going to be the interim champion and draw in to Jones down the road. Like, you'd have to be really careful to not put yourself in a position where you had to put Surreal in a fight with John Jones. That's, that, that is an uphill battle. Surreal is the only heavyweight to lose a heavyweight fist fight without ever being punched with a fist. I mean, it, it really is a unique spot. But he's a tremendous talent. Physically, I think Surreal could have done a lot better. Mentally, he just didn't want to be in there. But it, it's still... That, that's a sell job that would be very hard to do. But you can outrun anything, right? You can put enough time behind it. It's not as though that's something that would be stopped. But if we are having just a focus on Tom, he does need to find himself an opponent. He does need to identify who that is. And I think it'd be easier for Tom if he could do it like every other champion where it is you accept a fight. Nobody's challenged him. Nobody. Surreal said it. Tom brushed him away. And Surreal, like he always does, just went dead silent and put his head in the sand. Like Surreal doesn't know which way is up in the world of fight promotion. There's nothing that you can do about that. But somebody does need to challenge Tom. And Tom can either give his cases to the media, why that's not the person, or why they don't deserve it, right? And the answer for Surreal, for not deserving it, is that Surreal stiffed him. Tom shouldn't give him that. It's the same reason Colby isn't, isn't lining up to fight Blah Muhammad. Muhammad tried to take something from him, so now Colby's taking it back. We all understand this. We understand pettiness on a human level. Sure we do. But John's argument that you want to take something from me for, for not doing it, I'm not fine. I don't have a license. I can't get a license. It's not, it's not my choice. But by the way, Plenty of guys have been in that spot, and they had to give the belt back. Either way, his argument back to Tom is you're doing the same thing. Don't come talk to me about defending a belt until you defend a belt. And before we put all of that on Tom, where are the callouts? Where are the heavyweights, and, wh and wh where are the challenges? What is interesting about that? And it it's one of these divisions where they've been asleep at the wheel for years. They've been asleep at the wheel to the point they let their own heavyweight champion walk away without losing the belt. They let him go because he couldn't draw. Went and lost a pile of money for somebody else, right? I mean, some guys just can't draw. But it sure is ripe for the taking. Nobody gives a damn who's ranked number four at heavyweight or three at heavyweight or six at heavyweight or nine at heavyweight. You could be you could be the smartest marks in the business. I don't know where you get the rankings. I've made that comment many times. And I read something in the comment section. He doesn't know where to get the rankings. All you got to go is to ufc.com backslash ranking.org hyphenate recent. 
And then when you get there, do a search for heavyweight, it'll pop right up. Like I always hear from some dork that says something like that. Even you dorks with your hyphenation and your backslashes don't know who's ranked number six, don't know who's ranked number eight, don't know who's ranked number three. It's one of those situations where it doesn't matter. They're interchangeable mediocrities. Every one of them. Every one of them. We are the one. We had to get and lift Tom's ass up here. He wasn't going to do it on his own. He didn't know how to do it. But we got him here. Now we got to find somebody else. We got to get them up there. Whatever it is that has to be done. They're not going to do it. They're not going to make call outs. It's not right to Tom. You should, you should not be punished for success. I don't think a resistance to defend the interim belt is actually what's going on here. I do believe there's more to this story. There's no part of me that believes Jones versus Stipe, we just, we just have to do the fight. I, I don't believe that. In fact, I have a theory as to why we're preserving or pretending to preserve that idea. So let's see where this goes. But... One helpful thing, if John isn't going to call out Tom and Tom isn't going to call out John, if they're, if they're not going to do that, stop talking to one another. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. I've had it with you all, but thank you for listening. You know, I got a comment. I got to give a shout out to Hunter. He left me a review on Spotify. He says, and I quote, I could listen to you talk UFC all day, Chael. Well, thank you, Hunter. And you know, my wife gets a little tired of it. And I got to tell you, I'm glad that you enjoy it. I'm going to be back on Tuesday, guys. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen and you are welcome.